and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I am Ross Blotcher. Agree. That is my name. Agree to agree. <laughs> and you are an angel on this earth. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank You're you. Welcome. Bob Larson may beg to differ because we're finally, <laughs> we're finally going to take you to the finish line on the International School of Exorcism. Yes, but not on Bob Larson. We have more to say on Bob. Indeed, there will be more. <laughs> and in fact, you took the advanced course, so this might not even be the end of... Yeah, I wasn't sure how to reveal that. Maybe we make that bonus oh. episodes or something. Well, now you've revealed it. I've taken the advanced <laughs> course. There's more. Um, but this will bring you up to speed to where if you have all this information, you are ready to be an exorcist as long as yeah. Bob Larson signs a certificate with your name on it. Which we now have. We're very proud That's of. That's right. Yeah. So there's four more courses left in level three, the exorcist level. And we're finally going to get to the last course, which I think was like the first course that felt like what I was expecting this class to be. <laughs> totally, totally, absolutely. So we start with level three, course seven, Angels and Spiritual Warfare, part one. Yep. Uh, you know, Bob likes to break things down. Yeah. Uh, but into... like at least have subcategories. Give me like a 7A. Oh, okay. Okay, sure. But yeah, I was excited to buy this topic. I want to learn more about angels. Yes, I knew you would be excited. I was like, this is Ross territory right here. <laughs> You're like, this is very boring to me, but Ross would be happy. <laughs> no, some of it was interesting. No, this happens. There's things where I'm like, oh, all right, Carrie will really be into this and all. Oh, good. Memory. Let's talk some more about yeah, how bad <laughs> memory is. Exactly. That's great, Carrie. Oh, good. You read a new study. That's great. But... Angels, they're real. We knew that. Yeah, and you know, the church really ignores them, downplays them. Really, we need to talk more about angels. <laughs> Is this you talking or Bob? Or That's both? Bob, but me agreeing with Bob. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, that's funny. This just popped into my head. At one point, I remember, uh, I can't remember where I was exposed to it, but somebody had like a picture, I want to say in a magazine, that was a photo taken, and it was of an angel. And as I recall, it was something like a formation of the sky that created the shape, like a pareidolia of an angel shape. Mm -hmm. But I remember it really impacted me as a kid, and I made a copy Aww. of this, and I had it on my wall with all of the other <sighs> artwork taped up to my wall. Oh, that's great. I think I've told you I had the jars of clay guys on my ceiling. <laughs> that's right. Not and quite I had, the same. And I had angel pareidolia on my wall. <laughs> Definitely, if you grow up evangelical, you hear about angels mostly. You know what? Actually, this is a place where the Christians are the skeptics. The, mm -hmm. And I say that with the D-I-C-K, the skeptics. They're like, oh, you think angels are people who used to be human and then they died and then they got wings? Well, mm, 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 mm. the right. Bible says they actually have been angels forever. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so Bob will give us his flavor of this. But that's a good point because everybody takes like a little piece of scripture and takes it to heart, and that forms their theology about what angels are, where they came from, how many can dance on the head of a pin, how many follow you. How many? 
how many? You know, if I kind of look back at my church experience, I remember a whole range. Some people were really excited about angels. Some people were embarrassed to talk about them. (laughs) I remember reading a book that my mom had that was filled with stories of angelic interventions. You know, people saying, my car broke down and this man came and he helped me out. And then I turned around to thank him and he was gone. And there's nowhere he could have gone. It was empty for miles around. He was an angel. (laughs) Oh, that's the only explanation. Uh, So I still believe. Oh, big reveal. Also, like one of my favorite singers still is Kevin Max of DC Talk. And he talks a lot about angels and he'll sing songs about angels. And I remember even as a Christian, like, this guy seems a little overly interested in angels. (laughs) This is too much angel. Exactly. So what's Bob's angle on angels? His angel angle is that the Bible talks about angels all the time. But as you said, the church don't give a fuck anymore. But Bob gives a fuck. So he points out that the Old Testament talks about angels mm-hmm. and that the word used means messenger both in hebrew and greek uh, you know oh. angelos where we get our angel and los angeles where we live both mean messenger yeah and i guess the hebrew term is malach i'm sure i just said that horribly my apologies Yeah, but angels do so much more than just bringing messages, Mm -hmm. you know? And one of the things that we can do as exorcists is ask them for their help because they are also agents of God. They're kind of like when the fake Santa goes to the mall and you go to the fake Santa and then he's like, don't worry, I'm reporting to the real Santa. Oh, I gotcha. Angels are like, they are messengers of God, but also they seem to have a little more power than we do over the mystical world. Yeah, this gave me a thought as I was hearing Bob explain this, that prophets are kind of just the same thing, but in human form. Their job is to not necessarily foretell the future, but to foretell God's message to man. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, boy, God has a lot of messengers sharing his message Where if you're God, you could just... Just talk, dude. You could talk like a voice from the sky. You could rearrange the stars to spell a message. I would particularly appreciate that. Anyways, yeah, they do a lot more. And Bob walked us through all of these different examples in the Bible of angels, like in Revelation, bringing warfare and judgment and casting Satan down. In the Old Testament, afflicting people with plagues and announcing the births of Samson and of Jesus and executing judgment in Sodom and opening prison doors, all kinds of things that angels have done. So they're not just messengers. They roll away stones. They roll away stones. Yeah, huh. when Jesus died, you know? Was it an angel who did that? Sounds like something oh, an angel Oh, good question. I mean, you know, when Mary and Mary arrive and mm-hmm. the stone is rolled away, the angel's sitting on it. I always felt the implication was that that's a safe uh, bet. Yeah, the there might be a storyboard missing from that sequence, but I think... <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, now think... I'm picturing the angel pushing the stone, which is a very funny visual. Ooh, ooh, I'm also now it. picturing the angel just showing up and finding the grave open and being like, I'm just going to hop up here on this. <laughs> I'm going to take the credit. <laughs> I'm just going to sit on the stone. Yeah, some people will just make an assumption of what yeah. happened. <laughs> Years from now, I'll be on a podcast. So, though uh, <laughs> so I won't be named. Well, I guess we'll get to that in just a bit. So, yeah, they're in the New Testament also. They tell us Jesus is coming. Paul survives a storm because of an angel. Again, as we've discussed many times before, Bob will take whatever scant 
descriptions you get from scripture and extrapolate much larger principles Mm -hmm. from them. So he lets us know that, yes, they appear luminous and they may appear even as human-like, but of course that is not their true nature. They are spirits. Space cannot contain them. He quotes Augustine saying, you ask me the name of their nature, it is spirit. You ask for their office, it is that of a messenger. Where's their office? (laughs) No, I just wanted to know where their office is. (laughs) Knock, knock, Uh, Augustine. And of course, it wouldn't be a lecture from Bob unless he told us how many mentions, how many mentions of angels there are, like in the books of Moses. Yeah, like 30 something, right? Quote, unquote, 32 mentions in the books of Moses. I'm using Mm. little scare quotes because Moses didn't write any books. Resisting sidebar. Uh, 37 (laughs) times in another section of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, the time of the the judges and the kings, I guess. 20 references alone in Zechariah. Revelation Ah. has 65 mentions. So yeah, there's a lot of angels in the Bible. Yeah, they certainly outnumber God. God gets all the credit. But as I've discussed before, if you look at all these different mentions, you'll find a lot of different mental conception of what an angel is and does. But of course, Bob takes that all just to mean God's given us this glimpse of the nature of angels and we have to cobble it together. And it's all going to be consistent somehow, we know, because it's in the Bible. Right. There's so much you have to do if you can only use one book for your source material. Yeah. Yeah. But the human mind is up to it. (laughs) Indeed. And so angels are... I'm not sure why he's making this point, but angels are distinct from Christ. Yes, agree. Yeah, he was worried someone would somehow mistake that. Yeah. The Vatican holds that they were created before time, before like time even existed, before the material world. And this is an area... So before me and them. Never understood that. I know there are cosmologists who are now listening who are like, well, actually, that has a meaning. But it's I don't like what's it. asking what's north of the North Pole. It's nonsensical because our language is formed by words like before and after, and we can only conceive of ourselves within a fourth dimensional universe. But before that was created, whatever mm-hmm. before means in that context, the right. angels were created. So this is very, I don't know, I think strange and inviting of speculation. Okay, what happened? So God had this whole first creation, and were the angels not good enough, not enough worship for him? Why did he need humans? Well, we know that he sent Satan down to hell during all this, so right, maybe and he was like, I'm starting over, that kid. Ugh. Yeah, presumably he did that all before the temptation in the garden. Anyways, lots of weird thorny issues are raised by this, and the Bible gives us very little guidance. But we'll touch on pieces of that throughout this this two-part lesson. And Bob will give us so much guidance. He steps (laughs) in where the Bible leaves off. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Then he tells us a bit about what we know about angels. So the population of angels. Yeah. How many angels we got? He's got 20 important facts about angels, and he's going to split them across these two lessons. So, yeah, the first one, the angelic population. So how many are there, Carrie? How many? Oh, it was a multitude. Yeah, a multitude. And Bob later refers to a Matthew twenty six fifty three, where Jesus says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And Bob says, okay, well, people disagree on what a legion is, but we could be talking about 100,000 angels Jesus is referencing here. Yeah, like multitude, legion. Some people say that's metaphorical language, but, you know, could be literal. And later on, Bob opens this up, that this could be 
billions of angels. There could just be so many. And some like early church fathers speculated that there's one angel at least for every human being who has ever existed or will exist until the judgment. That's how we would lead to this misunderstanding about them all being former humans if they're like about the same in number as all the humans who have ever been or ever will be. Oh, well, I think at least the effort there is to provide a specific companion angel for every human. Oh, the you get a soul, angel. you get a companion, you get orientation handbook. You know, there's like, it's just part of your setup kit as a human. Gosh, that must be so annoying as an angel to just be like, you're attached to this one person. <laughs> you know so much. You have so much spiritual power, but you get like, <sighs> you know, Rush Limbaugh. No kidding. <laughs> Walk him around. As you're hearing all of these things we're going to say about angels, just keep that in mind, how boring it would be to be an angel, because I think Uh, it would be incredibly boring and thankless. And I am not good with thankless. It's one one of my weaknesses. (laughs) If I have to, like, like, convince someone to take care of themselves, I get so resentful. Maybe that's why... When you do something thanklessly and no one acknowledges it, finally someone says, oh, you're such an angel, kid. You're such an angel. <gasps> oh, my God. Totally. See, that's what it means. Totally. You're oh, such... wow. <laughs> it's not what it means. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's a brief note on population. Okay, fact two about angels. There was an angelic rebellion. Yes. Carrie, can you left. think of any scripture that would give us insight into an angelic rebellion? to think about it i guess just off the top of my head i'd say like the chapter 12 of john's revelation oh yeah okay that tells us that precisely one third of heaven's angels didn't remain true to god precisely yeah precisely exactly (laughs) one third so i love that bob used the word precisely here so the reference in revelation 12 is talking about the beast at the end of time and saying that it sweeps a third of the stars from the sky with its tail. So Hmm. presumably, a lot of Christians believe that this is going to actually be played out in the future, just like Mm. when people thought that stars were little shiny dots stuck up in that big bluish black thing. (laughs) Big bluish black thing. And could be knocked down by this sweep of a tail, and that we only see with our visible eyes in the sky... A lot of stars, thousands of stars, but they're only the ones pretty close to us in our own galaxy. Anyways, they didn't know about stars back then. They were confused about stars. (laughs) Or tails. Presumably. (laughs) Right. Um, How long is this tail? It's a tall tail. Uh, So so they think that this is going to happen both literally and somehow they can press it into service to tell this metaphorical tale about the beginning of time and how we Hmm. got all of our angels and that somehow it was precisely a third. And yet Hmm. Bob tells us that angels at some point did have free will. They had choice. And at some point they were given that ability to choose to stay Mm. or leave. Right. And you're talking about billions. I'm just thinking of like an election. You know, maybe 34.28% of all of these billions of angels chose to follow Satan, but precisely one third? That seems a little far-fetched. That means Maybe it was like a Red Rover situation. That means that the total number of angels had to be divisible by three. I was thinking that too. Well, it's possible. Any, anyway, <laughs> but I, still, I don't like it. When he said precisely, I kind of cracked up in my head. Well, what about armies? Do they have armies in heaven? 
Yes, they do, because Second Kings 6 says vast armies of angels all around the people and purposes of God overwhelmed the Syrian forces with their chariots of fire. So there we go. They do battle, even human mm. battle sometimes. What do they do up there? What are they doing most of the time? Surely something exciting. They live in heaven. Oh, yeah. And we all know the eternal life of an angel is very exciting. Well, it turns out that they spend most of their time beholding the face of God their father. <laughs> or the father. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, so that sounds. Boring. That sounds awful. Oh, my God. If I just had to stare at a picture of my dad all day. (laughs) Oh, my God. Torch. No offense to my dad. Just boring as shit. You know, variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Looking at stuff other than pictures of your parents is very important to a fulfilled life. And elsewhere in the Bible, Bob doesn't talk about this, but, you know, you hear about how the angels just sit around the throne for all eternity singing, holy, holy, holy holy is the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's boring. First of all, way to write a tune, guys. (laughs) That's Maybe maybe it sounded better in the original language. I can't remember which philosopher it was, one of the logicians who said that if there is a heaven... He had concluded that we would all just be doing logic problems in heaven. And yeah, that also sounds boring, but it at least sounds better than staring at a picture of my dad. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah, at least like you get a pencil, you're like working out some little diagrams. I feel like there's a bit of projection there where... Um, whatever it is you're really into becomes mm-hmm. heaven. It's like I remember Absolutely. reading C.S. Lewis and he would talk about just all these lavish tables filled with all the greatest foods and they just happen to be his favorite foods. Yeah, yeah yep. that's all very convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Milk and honey. Okay. I, I recommended this in a recent episode, but Bart Ehrman has a book called Heaven and Hell all about the origin of those ideas. He comments on how a lot of the early ideas about paradise were about gardens and fruits. In fact, the word paradise just means garden. I think like, it actually means if you have two those like things that you roll when you're playing craps. <laughs> okay, that took me a moment. Very nice. <laughs> thank you. Very thank good. You. And some have stated, I certainly have no special knowledge into this, but I've heard it from enough sources that the promise in the Quran of 72 virgins could just as well be translated as 72 white grapes. Hmm. Because elsewhere in the Quran, it refers to heaven in terms of all of the rare and delicious fruit that you'll get. So it's kind of more consistent. Anyways. I mean, suddenly 72 sounds like not enough for eternity if they're just grapes. true. Hopefully they're replenishing. if they're human possessions. (laughs) Moving on. What would you say, Carrie, about angelic substance? Oh, I love it so much. Well, so what are angels made up of? Well, they're completely spiritual. They don't have bodies. Sugar, spice, everything nice. (laughs) No, 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 no. They're completely spiritual. No mass. And they don't form human relationships. They don't get married. They don't have kids. They just stare at I'm adding this to the chalkboard list of reasons it's boring to be an angel. (laughs) They also have an angelic order, so they are of a higher order than humans. And Bob references Psalm 8.5, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him. Okay, so angels are at a higher level than we mere humans, but of course, not as high as Jesus. And their lives suck. Then there's angelic individuation. 
so every angel has their own personality, their own intelligence, their own willpower, and they all have different gifts that they offer in service to God. Cool. And on that subject of intelligence, this gets its own uh, number, number eight, angelic intelligence. So angels have their own power of thought that's free from any of the sort of strictures of the natural world. Yeah. So it sounded to me after a while, as I was listening to this, like maybe just their minds are blown all the time, man. Like they, (laughs) they just don't have these sort of limiting ideas is, that we have yeah this is really weird and i think if you pressed any christian who believed this into an explanation they would say well it's just it's so far beyond human comprehension we just we can't make sense of these words but bob was talking about how they have like they know everything so they don't need to go through any learning or training they have perfect knowledge and yet he discovered that in first peter 1 10 through 12 it mentions that there are things which angels desire to look into so mm. apparently, Bob has carved out this little section of, and I don't know if it's forbidden knowledge or just like somehow knowledge that angels can't comprehend, which is these essential truths such as the nature of God's sacrifice and the salvation that he has offered to humanity, because they're not subject to it. And I guess they just, they don't get it. Even though they float around with us all the time and they go to all of our church services with us and they've heard this message endlessly— Somehow they've never absorbed this information. And it's the most important thing for humans to learn. So you would think Mm -hmm. that the guardians watching over us better know about it. You'd think. Huh. Well, number nine in the amazing facts about angels is uh, angelic communication. So That's uh, what we're doing. Right. They have both spiritual and verbal communication. And he references 1 Corinthians 13 that says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels. So there's two different tongues there. You can speak in the tongue of angels, but it seems like angels can also break the language barrier. So they are fluent in every language offered by Duolingo. Whoa, good job, guys. And they also have emotions. Can you learn Esperanto on Duolingo? I don't know. What is Esperanto? I always forget what that is. Is that the invented language? Exactly. Yeah, that was kind of created to be a uh, universal language. Oh, right, right, right. I'm guessing not, but who knows? Oh, it says the world's best way to learn Esperanto, Duolingo. Okay. Wow, okay. I will not put that on my to-do list. (laughs) So yeah, when a sinner is saved, the angels rejoice. We know that from the Bible. That makes it confusing that they don't understand salvation. They're just like, we know this is good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, actually, I remember hearing that passage, Luke 15, 7, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. I remember always kind of thinking like, oh, it's the dead people who've already gone to heaven. And they're like, yay, there's going to be another one among us. Oh, he's coming. He's coming. Yeah. But I guess Bob's particular slice of theology is that, nope, only angels are in heaven right now. Right. Good point. Huh. But every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Just kidding. that's... That's... not Biblical. scriptural. Uh, so yeah, that, that was to teach us the final point of this particular lesson about angels is that they have emotions. Yes. Because he found one verse that referenced joy being had in heaven. And he needs to flush this out. So that was course seven. 
Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I think I got 80% on this one. Just as a reminder to our listeners, I just blew right through these. I barely watched the video the first time and just went for the quiz. Okay, um, I got I got 100% on test. this one, but I got 80 on the next one, so. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm just checking to see what mine was. Level 3. I got 80%. Yep. Pretty good okay. for basically not having paid attention at the time. Yeah. Oh, well done. Bob highly recommended a few books here, just in case you do want to Mm. learn more about angels in the Bob vein. There's The Angels in Catholic Teaching and Tradition by Reverend Pascal Parente. And there's All the Angels in the Bible by Herbert Locker. That actually sounds kind of fun. I like that name. And then Herbert Locker. And then he references a book by his dear friend, Moody Bible professor, C. Fred Dickinson Jr., called Angels, Elect and Evil. Okay. Yeah. I guess let's launch right into Course 8, because that's going to tell us more about angels. Yeah, Angels in Spiritual Warfare, Part 2, Course (laughs) 8. All right. So let's talk about those angelic purposes. Yeah. Tell me more. So you know how demons have their specific jobs and their specific places that they live, whether that's in your soul or a specific location. Well, similarly, angels serve in specific locations and they have specific jobs and functions. You're squinting your eyes like this already doesn't make sense. This just gave me a thought. If demons can inhabit your soul, your soul hotel, why Mm -hmm. can't angels do that then? Yeah, I Maybe see because, no th- okay, okay, I fixed it. It took you me a few seconds, it? but my brain found a way. Hey, okay. good job. That's, <laughs> the, some, that's some mighty apologetics there, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you. Do the demons have mass? I think the demons have mass. You're saying like demons have mass and angels don't? Yeah. I've decided that they do. I don't And think- the angels, okay. <laughs> we learned that the angels don't. Was and it was it getting knocked out mass. of heaven with the tail? Did that add mass? It was like a massacre. Oh wow! Like mass hyphen occur. Like a whole acre of mass. <laughs> or that. Uh, yes, that's when it happened, and the force was so great that it shook up the empty energy and uh-huh. excited it. Um, okay. I'm a physicist, so like if you don't get this, that's okay. So it like excited the energy, which then like coalesced into a mass. Um, it's like a whole, like if you understand quantum, um, which I do, then this would make like a lot more sense. But if you don't, that's okay. Just like keep listening. Then the matter <laughs> builds on itself and okay. then it can oh, like go an accretion. into other. Yeah. yeah, like an accretion is how I would describe it. And then it goes into <laughs> anything that already has mass, like a human, a dog, pigs. I, I bet you, we, uh, I have to stop you because I have to stop you or you'll just keep going. <laughs> I, I bet we could find like a good scripture verse that refers to some totally oblique other thing, but has something to do with like, they shall experience the weight of their rejection or something like that and be like, that refers to demons getting mass and that's why they can stay in your soul hotel that's called bobbing okay well as much as i appreciate your response i still want to know why angels can't live in your soul hotel yeah fair enough but they have purposes that was the important part here yeah like for example in john 5 there was an angel who would stir up the waters at the bethesda pool and then people would have to quickly get in like, oh, the angel started stirring it up. I need to jump in the water and get healed. Uh, it was kind of like the lords of its day. I really want to bathe in like one of those holy water sites. 
It's so weird. I really remember believing that as a historical fact. Aw, that's cute. Yeah. So angels also have location. Mm -hmm. So yes, they're primarily in the presence of God, but since they don't have mass, they can also just sort of move around. They have GPS, God Presence Syndrome. <laughs> that was the word that came to my mind. I was looking for a better word than syndrome. God, okay, God presence. God positioning system. Okay, sure. That's Just fine. use the rest of GPS there. Yeah. Yeah, boring, but they can go elsewhere, and they can do it really fast too. Bob says like they don't have the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence, the uh, the omniscience of God. They can't do all of that at once. Their nature doesn't allow it, but. An angel can whisk from like 500 miles away, and Bob has found a verse that supports that in Daniel 6. And they have powers, so they're mm-hmm. not as powerful as God, of course, and not as powerful as Christ, and they yeah. can't perform miracles. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting take from Bob, that angels can't perform miracles. Yeah. He didn't want to give angels the ability to break the laws of physics, but, right. but they can do something that's so impressive that it almost seems like it. And yet, if they can't do it, you would think we couldn't do it then. They're more powerful than we are. Right. And then I think I Bob would say, argue, well, it's, it's never it's you doing you. the miracle. Exactly. But then you'd think, okay, well, fine. Then the angel should be able to call on God the same way I can. <sighs> it's boring being you an angel, think? Carrie. Anyway, it's really boring. all right. Well, what about their appearance? What does an angel look like? What can I look for? Yeah, they've shown up to people. People have seen them. Zechariah, Jacob, Mary, Paul, Peter. They can appear as humans, though that is not their common order, Bob right. is quick to assert. And he says And well, you mean they look like humans. They it's not like some humans are them. Right. The, yeah, they can take on the appearance of a human, but I'm sure if you tried to give them food, they couldn't eat it. Or if like you tried to poke them, the stick would go right through them or something, you know. <laughs> and Bob says he doesn't know exactly the mechanism of that. The Bible doesn't tell us. So uh, that'll just have to remain a mystery. But that that's mm. not their actual appearance. And Bob will talk a little bit about this later because we've mentioned on the show before, like some angels have four wings. Some angels have six wings. If you read like one of the prophetic visions in the Old Testament, an angel is just described as like this whirling set of wheels with eyes all along the edges of the wheel and like feathers coming out in every direction, and like wings all over the place. So it's just this weird jumble of wheels and eyes and wings. And that's an angel. (laughs) Carrie, Carrie looks horrified. Oh, yeah. I feel like I saw a drawing of this. Did you draw this for me uh, Not earlier? me. Not me. Okay. But it has been I remember been seeing depicted. someone drawing, yeah, that terrifying thing. Yeah, one uh. of those passages of the Bible that you think like, oh, maybe somebody had some kind of hallucinogenic. <laughs> right. Ugh. Well, angels also have morality. Well, the ones um, who didn't uh, leave God's presence, the precisely one third of angels. Well, I think morality here is more a synonym for moral choice. So even mm-hmm. those ones still, they have it. They're just misusing it. Well, but Bob tells us they had a probationary point. So there was some point at which oh, right. they had to choose good or choose evil. And for whatever reason, I'm still really <laughs> fixed on this like one third. If this ever happens, you guys choose good. Choose good. <laughs> it's, it's just an A or B question. <laughs> So for whatever reason, some of them chose evil, and Bob can't explain why they chose that or when the choice was or exactly how the timeline worked. But the ones who chose to sin now will always sin forever, and they can't do anything else. And angels chose good, and so now they can never choose otherwise. 
What? Why? No. I'll tell you why. It's because this is just how human brains are built. And it gives you an excuse then to have this idea for the rest of your life that there are a them and an us. And there are people mm. who just choose to do evil shit because they're like, I like doing evil now. That's fun. When the reality <laughs> is almost everybody thinks they're doing good, that they're yep. on the side of the angels. And that's, I mean, the that's, most um, you do is get more and more information. So you make sure you're mitigating your harm. Yeah, that is such a trope within fiction of just having the completely evil villain or race that you can just kill without compunction like your zombies those are great enemies because you know well they're dead and they're supposed to still be dead and it's not right or proper that they're animated against you know you can mow through a crowd of zombies and you don't feel any compunction or you know Mm -hmm. like a video game with nazis or even better yet nazi zombies you just feel like you can (laughs) get rid of them same in lord of the rings you have these orcs they are the equivalent of demons essentially and they're just these purely evil creatures that again your heroes can mow through and kill and you don't feel any sort of like oh that's too bad and oh he had a wife and child so yeah i guess the bible's just giving you the earliest version of that not healthy okay well there's also an angelic hierarchy so as we yeah. established they don't have families they don't have tribes they don't have clubs political parties But they do have some classifications. Yes. So Bob gives us a very thorough list of just verses and how they've referred to angels. So you've got cherubim and seraphim and angels, hosts, principalities, powers, thrones. I want to find an angel that's like, I'm a throne class angel. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Dominions, might. So he finds these words and I'll give Bob credit here because he anticipated what was going to be one of my critiques which is how do you know that this cobbled together list just happens to be a thorough comprehensive one and Bob actually says you know what the list may be complete there may be other ranks of angels and that's just what God has revealed so I was like all right well done Bob well done not necessarily a plenum Right. But the important takeaway is that there are categories of angels. Which house would you belong to? Let's do this like Harry Potter. I've never read it or seen it. Which one of these would you be if you just got to pick? Seraphim, power, thrones, dominions, principalities, might. I want to say the one that's always sounded kind of the coolest and most arcane and interesting to me is the seraphim. I would be a seraph. Oh, nice. Okay. Or or if I were a sand seraph, I would be a cherub. (laughs) Because then I could lecture people like, no, no, no. The common depictions of cherubs is chubby little angels. That's a more recent invention. We're actually mighty angels. What would you be, Carrie? The one that sticks out to me is might. I like that it's it's short. It's powerful. But it's also like, ah, might. <laughs> okay. I don't know, maybe. Am I going to do it? I might. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I might. So That's here we get me. to angelic names. And this is where Bob gives us the very sad news that with the exception of Michael and Gabriel, we don't know the names of angels. <laughs> oh, crap. What it's an like, oversight. Speaking of being boring and thankless as an angel, it's like being in yeah. Melissa Scott's church where you get like, you know, your king's house number and you never mm-hmm. get thanked for anything you do. Like many thanks to king's house number 4432. He does allow that in the Catholic Apocrypha, at least the books that the Catholic Bible 
chooses to include. Raphael is mentioned as another archangel. Michael and Gabriel are both archangels. And I was like, well, what about Uriel? What about Barachiel? Or, you know, there's some other named mm. archangels in various traditions. Bob just says, yeah, we don't really know their names. It's interesting, though, that he's not coming down on one side or the other with the Apocrypha. He, mm-hmm. he always leaves a little wiggle room for the Catholics, but doesn't really tell us where he stands. And yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm here to hear where you stand. Uh, okay. So is Raphael an angel or no? I'm guessing he would give Raphael like a percentage level chance of being a real archangel. Mm. I mean, all of this discussion is why when we had that one psychic who told you that there are six angels, (laughs) that I was incensed, insulted, and frankly, angry. (laughs) That's fair. That was a big moment in your life. Um, (laughs) It was. Then there are angelic classifications. So Catholic theology divides angels according to their choirs and there are nine choirs i wasn't aware of this whole choir thing that's interesting oh boy i'm excited to be in a choir again hopefully the mites get to sing in the choir i know in my notes i don't see any mite choirs i'm gonna start it fellow mites (laughs) if you're listening i'm starting the mite choir i might start the mite choir the mighty mighty god tones (laughs) excellent and it's gonna be like Rehearsal on Wednesday? Question mark. We might. I don't know, we might. <laughs> we might. It's going to be very annoying meetings sometimes. This is like one of those procrastinators clubs. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll meet in March or maybe April. I don't know. Uh, inconsistency. And so here he mentions that the seraphs are described as having six wings and they sing before God's throne. Yay. The cherubs are the first angels who are mentioned in the Bible and they're the guardians of sacred things in temples. So, for example, when in the first Indiana Jones film, when you see Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, there's two golden angels sitting on front and they don't look like little babies with sashes Mm-mm. covering their genitals. No, Mm-mm. they're mighty angels with big wings and those are cherubim. So there you are. There's an almost interesting job. And then, of course, the archangels. They're the cream of the crop, the top of the top, the mm, big banana. I'm at least adding Uriel as another archangel. <laughs> I just, I remember hearing about him early on. And so he was always in my mind, at least as much as Raphael. Remember when you drank my Uriel? Oh, oh. (laughs) Someone reminded me recently that I said it tastes like prune juice. And I had forgotten that. And then it immediately drew to mind the taste of pee. I was like, oh my God, that's right. That's right. Salty, warm prune juice. Oh, sense memory. Gross. All right. So angels can also be guardians. Yeah. So God told Israel he would send his angel to guard you and take you to the place I have prepared. He says that the concept of a guardian angel comes from Matthew 18.10. Okay, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. They're angels in heaven. So therefore, we can inductively... Apply that to all of humanity for all of time that everybody has a guardian angel. Okay, cool. And this is interesting. Bob comes down here with a very interesting take if you want to get his distinction from Catholicism. So Catholics believe that you get assigned a guardian angel from birth, but Bob likes to think it's from conception. Oh, I thought you were going to say rebirth. Interesting. Because I remember he also said he wasn't sure, like, if you're not saved, if you get a guardian angel. 
Oh, yeah. But here huh. he says that uh, he thinks like when you're conceived, when sperm hits egg, boom, angel. Oh, man. Think about all those pregnancies that do not get carried out. Maybe that's why. To term. Oh. Maybe that angel was like, ooh, not a good one. Not oh. loving this one. I had never thought of that before. Brutal. I mean, brutal. I didn't do it. I'm not a guardian angel. Bob says here that, by the way, angels are always masculine in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So New Age or occult groups may talk about female angels. And that's Mm -hmm. a clear indication that you're not working with a biblically-based group if they're talking about girl angels. (laughs) None of this girly angel shit. Yeah, he mentions earlier, too, what was it? Something else that would give away a cult. Oh, yeah, if they had any kind of demon who wanted to seek redemption or become good or do good things, or if you had an angel who was flirting with bad thoughts, those are not mm. biblically-based angels or demons. Oh, what a way to make yourself go crazy trying to figure out if you've got a demon acting like an angel or an angel acting like a demon or oh, right. someone's personality alter acting like a demon. or I mean, uh, and he yep. gives us no helpful tools to distinguish. Nope. Okay, angelic submission to Christ. This is principle number 10. So Mm -hmm. angels never assume a position superior to Christ. Yeah, and he points out like a verse in Revelation 19 where the angel specifically says like, "Ah, don't give me worship, Uh, that's for God. Right, which actually, so does Jesus. Yes, Jesus right. says someone falls down and worships him and he's like, get the fuck up. I'm not God. I am not good. Only the father is good. Like, yeah. 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 Big problem. Big yeah. problem. Guess what? The authors of the New Testament did not agree about did not the agree. nature of Jesus. Um, and you've just tried to backfill that understanding into all of the Bible verses. And yeah, there are many that are completely inconsistent with the understanding, like Jesus not knowing things that only the Father knows, yeah. like the day of his return. Right. Anyways. Ross and I used to be Christians, so... <laughs> That's right. Do we get hung up on these things. We're all working right. out our childhoods here. <laughs> I was thinking it would be fun, maybe around... Max Fun Drive or something to do a couple episodes where we just talk about our journeys. Yeah, some people want to hear that. If that sounds good to you, hit us up. Yeah, tell us that. If it sounds bad to you, I don't know, maybe send us a tweet that's just like, I like fireplaces. Just so it's not mean, but we still get that there's like pushback. And Carrie will, by that time, totally forget that she said this right now. So <laughs> that's like, true. Ross, why is everyone talking about why, fireplaces? Why did you make 13 a, people? <laughs> did you make a like... joke about fireplaces? <laughs> so basically, listen, angels are important. They're not just decorative. They are very interested in where we go when we die. And they are ready to assist us in our exorcisms. Yeah, that's right. Call upon them. They can force demons to tell the truth like wonder woman's lasso or something that's kind of cool and i guess that's not a miracle nope it may seem miraculous but it's not carrie only god can do miracles and me when i use god yeah okay now we know more about the nature of angels we know how to invoke them we don't know why they can't live in your soul like demons can and why don't they they could take up rooms in the hotel that would be then occupied and then the the little sign up outside would say sorry no vacancies no vacancies. this person's full of angels or airbnb isn't allowed in this town and Get don't try to 
don't try to tell me that like, oh, there's only one per person because first of all, there are precisely twice as many angels as there are demons and clearly demons are able to take up multiple rooms. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. And whichever angel was looking over Napoleon Bonaparte can be looking over me now, living in my soul hotel. And they don't have masks, so they can be wherever they want. And they can travel faster than light, so they can go be wherever they want in a second. No, that would be breaking the laws of physics, Carrie. They are constrained to the speed of light. Okay. Except when they're coming from heaven. How far away is heaven? You know, what's interesting, though, is like I study energetic quantum physics. Yeah. And actually (laughs) they can go faster than the speed of light. What a lot of people, it's very interesting. People really limit their minds to like what is possible. That is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so if you've been taught just sort of by like the mainstream scientific model that Uh light is the fastest thing that can travel in the universe, then you'll believe that. But then you'll also limit yourself to that. So that's just something to think about. Carrie, I have an idea. Because you have an idea about angels and their mass and their speed of travel and their quantum and their accretion. I think you should Mm -hmm. build a website to tell the world about your angelology. Oh, my God. I would love to. But here's the thing. I would want it to be pretty. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've never built a website before. So I'll leave it to the angels, I guess, because I wouldn't know how to start. That's a good point. But actually, I just took a course, a two-part course about angels, and I learned that one thing they can't do mm-hmm. is make websites. That well, wasn't that on the list. Well, that not at all so, because I want to... Oh. But I've got some help for you, Carrie. Okay. If you've got a dream, and really a dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet, you I could agree. make it a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace. I completely forgot about that perfect website making platform that I've used multiple times. Oh my gosh, that's right. You can use Squarespace to create a beautiful website, blog, or publish content, your amazing thoughts about angels. You can promote your physical or online business or your non-physical spiritual (laughs) manifestations. You can announce an upcoming birth of a savior or an event or a special project. You can babble about your (laughs) physics knowledge that's utter nonsense if you want. They're not going to stop you. It's your right. Uh, And you can do it with beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Might as well make you look more legit than you are. Yeah, especially if you're going to be talking about angels, this is important. And you can sell stuff. They have powerful e-commerce functionality. And you can buy like 200 extensions worth of domains. So maybe you want to get angel.angel. That might be there. I'm not sure. Or maybe you want, well, you can't get angel fire. That's already something. Mm Mm-hmm. But maybe you want angel.horse. Mm. I believe you can do that. Hold on. Let me check. Okay. Ross is checking. He's looking oh, for Yeah, it's available. Horse. Hey, okay. Get on See? it, people. And Someone do that, but be sure to use Squarespace. They also have 24-7 award-winning customer support. Also, seven is a holy number. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe it? So check out squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code oh no to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Man, that's fantastic. But how am I going to keep my teeth clean, Carrie? You have an answer. <laughs> Great that. question. Great question. Seamless segue. Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm engaged to be married. Ooh. And Yes, I know. (laughs) And my fiance, Drew, just had a birthday. And for his birthday, he specifically said, I want a Quip toothbrush. And I said, you have come to the right place, sir. 
Fantastic. Oh my gosh, I got him the whole quip set. Like a carrying case, a little floss pick and everything. Oh yeah, he's, oh my goodness, he's living that high still. Look people, it's not just the toothbrush. It comes with so many other great things that you can order from quip. For example, they've got a new- Ross, I'm sorry to interrupt, but look who's here to show you (gasps) his quip. It's Drew brushing his teeth. And this isn't us just doing a bit. Drew is actually brushing his teeth and think you can hear the motor sound. Into the microphone. Oh, you got a blue one. Nice. Or a bluish purple. It's It's good. (laughs) It's like a periwinkle. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, He loves it. You love it, babe? It's great. Yeah. See? I've been waiting for us to do another quip ad because I realized shortly after we recorded the last one that I was missing a really important feature of the gum dispenser, the chewy bits, as you oh, call yes, it. Oh, yes, the chewy bits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank okay. you. So I showed you this before. It's a dispenser. Mm-hmm. And what I originally did was I would open up its neck like you would with one of those candy dispensers of your childhood that you might remember. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, get this, Carrie. Watch this. Oh, shit. Do you see what okay. just happened there? Yes. So Ross held up the dispenser. He pushed down on one side the way you would light a little lighter mm-hmm. and out shot a chewy bit straight into his mouth from a good three, four inches away. That is correct. Yeah, I was so Incredible. excited. I went straight over to my wife and I said, you got to see this. You can shoot it right into your mouth. And I demonstrated. And she was like really worried like, oh, no, it's going to hit my tooth or something. So she closed her eyes. She opened her mouth. <laughs> But I got perfect delivery. Then Andrew was more excited. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm into it. So he got a couple sticks of gum. This is amazing. So, yeah, you choke on that. Oh, yeah. I should stop chewing gum while I'm talking. But I I think as I was looking at it uh, shortly after we recorded our last bit, I noticed there was the little quip cue on that side of the top. And I'm like, what happens if you press it? And a piece of gum shot out. I was like, that's amazing. This is so cool. Oh, man. It's a real Easter egg situation. Okay, so gum is something people chew as a way to relieve stress, curb appetites, and most importantly, freshen breath. My Did breath you know that? Very fresh all of a sudden. But many people don't realize that gum can also be part of a healthy oral care routine. Oh my goodness, I certainly did not. And Quip has launched a new gum that's actually good for your oral health and comes with a dispenser that'll remind you of the one-click candy you loved as a kid. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you get it? I feel like I do. It's also, it's sugar-free. I don't want to pester you about it. It's sweet, but it's sugar-free and has a tooth-friendly xylitol with zero calories. And to satisfy your taste buds, Quip added a long-lasting mint flavor and crunchy tri-layer design. Now, don't get ahead of yourself. It's not a substitute for brushing and flossing. What gum could be? Excuse me. What chewy bit? Mm-hmm. Thank you. But this is a great support for your oral health. Just pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush and refillable floss. And if you go to getquip.com slash oh no right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash oh no, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash oh no. Quip, the good habits company. Hold on, Carrie. Wait a second. I just found out if I hit this other button, something else pops out. Looks like a Jumbotron. Whoa, a Jumbotron has appeared in front of me as if on a screen in my home. Okay, let's see. This one is for Christopher, and it's from Michelle. Michelle says, 
Christopher, after 27 years together, I still get a thrill just seeing you walk into a room. I can still sit and talk with you for hours at a time. As often as we're together normally, I still look forward to every extra minute we can steal away from daily life to do something together. I love you. Happy birthday. Oh, that's so wonderful. Michelle. Oh, she's perfect. What a perfect partner. And clearly they live better lives than any angel. Mm-hmm. They're not just sitting around all the time looking at pictures of their dads. Similarly, I have a Gemotron to show you as well. I don't have, I have TMJ, so I don't have the gum dispenser, but. Uh, TMI. Sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm just uh, kidding. I want to hear uh, all about it. I'll slingshot it to you. Okay. <laughs> and wait, it's coming all the way over from Los Angeles to Burbank. It's going to take, oh, here it is. Got it. <laughs> it is for Jake McMains from Brandy McMains. And it says, surprise, happy 39th birthday. Yay! I'm guessing from this that March 5th is the birthday. Yes, I believe that is correct. So yeah, as you're listening to this, it's coming up. Happy birthday, Jake. Hey, that'll be my next birthday. I'll be turning 39 this year. Hey, on August 6th. You got it. Phew, boy. All right. I always have trouble with those August birthdays because I have a number of them. Our friend uh, Mallory O'Mara over at the Amazing Podcast Reading Glasses, she has an August birthday, and I went to a party once for her birthday, and I mentioned to someone standing nearby, like, oh, yeah, well, we were just celebrating my birthday recently. I'm August 6th, and my wife's is coming up, August 25th, and this person said, oh, that's funny. I'm also August, and someone overheard us and said, like, oh, I'm an August birthday, and, like, we were all sharing our numbers, and we realized, like, 75% of this party had August birthdays. So either oh, weird. that was a really weird statistical fluke or Mallory only befriends August birthdays. Okay, I want to say this is slightly more impressive, but I'm not sure. That's pretty good. We formed when a I- circle of August birthdays. It was <laughs> weird. It that's, was really weird. That's crazy. Well, one time, I think it was the last time I took an airplane flight, actually. I was going through the Burbank Airport. And the person in front of me showed their passport to the TSA agent. And the TSA agent said, ah, you have my birthday. And that person was like, oh, that's so funny. Oh, that's crazy. Because, you know, summer birthdays, we don't like match up all that often. She's like, I know. No one ever came to my birthday party. Oh, I know. Me too. And so I was like, I have a summer birthday. And they're like, oh, yeah, when? I was like, July. And they're like, we're July. So then as I went up and showed my ID to the woman, she was like, you're July 13th? (gasps) And then called that person back. back. All three of us were July 13th. 13th. And that person's like, I got to get to Singapore, but this is more important. (laughs) Yeah. Is that crazy? That's amazing. What a funny world we live in. Yeah. This makes me want to tell my Shirley story, but I think I've done that before. Anyways. Oh, yeah. I think you have. But you know what? Comb through the back catalog if you haven't heard the Shirley story and find it. Okay. Let's learn more about... Okay, not angels. We're coming into course nine, Elements of an Exorcism. Yeah, That okay. sounds like a good, a good mystery novel title, Elements of an Exorcism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Write that. So in our next course, in level 10, we're going to talk about how to actually do an exorcism. But first, <laughs> in this course, we're going to talk about sort of your preparatory work. And the things that you need, the accoutrement of the yeah. exorcism, which, which will clear a lot of ground to make course 10 go faster. 
True. Okay, so first of all, you're going to need some note-taking materials. I like that he also, he prefaces this by saying, it would be impossible in this school to cover everything that you need to know. And I'm thinking, why? Why would that be impossible? Yeah, you told me about the different levels of angels. I think you can tell me more (laughs) stuff about how to actually do the exorcism. But yeah, you're right. Note-taking materials. Yes. So you're going to want to take notes as you go. He Mm -hmm. says it's even better if you have someone else who's there to take notes for you. Keep a good log. Says that you're going to want that for later reference or to corroborate the facts. And I feel like this is a nod to like, listen, you could get sued about this later and you want to have at least someone's account down in writing. I kind of like taking notes in a meeting. I find myself doing that a lot. I think it's a way to feel like, oh, I'm being productive and I'm paying attention, but I only have to chime in if I want to. No one will expect it of me because I'm busy. Oh, like when you're the designated note taker. Right. Gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. Anyways, also, you should take care of any personal and legal issues. So you want to have a witness present, especially, Mm -hmm. Carrie, if you have someone of the opposite gender that you're dealing with. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe later on the demon will try to distort something. Someone will tell a a tall tale. You want to have a witness there said you did the right thing. Says you want to avoid a dispute later about what happened. So again, I'm like, what has happened here, Bob? Tell us more. I agree, though. A witness and another person there is a good idea. I feel better knowing that Bob is not performing exorcisms alone with a woman in his office. Yeah, sure. And if you think that the person that you're performing the exorcism on could become violent, you want to make sure that you have strong dudes with you, uh, Mm -hmm. or strong people, but he's almost always got dudes, who can restrain them if they get too violent. There's that YouTube video that we've mentioned before with me helping in an exorcism, and Bob has already picked two strapping young lads in the audience who are holding on to this guy on either side, and I'm totally like non-essential he adds me in a, I'm, in, I'm in the back there kind of hold, holding onto the guy's shoulders but it's like yeah you guys got him <laughs> like, he's not going to do anything that Pivot. will need my intervention Pivot. but I'm, I'm there just in case need me to take notes now you might also need some research devices you want to have access to the internet if you can mm-hmm. because you never know when someone's going to say that they're the demon behesimot and then you need to look that up you're like radishe who's right. radishe And Bob says, like, yeah, like, even sometimes occult websites will help me out. After decades of doing this, I don't know all the demon names, so, or the places that are mentioned, so uh, it helps to be able to look it up and verify. It's also wild that there's so much stuff on the internet now, and we've thought up so many sounds and words as a species that you could probably type in pretty much anything and get some sort of hit that felt compelling. That would be fun just to try to come up with a lot of strange demon names, like ones that aren't Googleable, like Ooblubicon. Okay, Oob. Yeah, how would you spell that? Ublubicon. Demon. Yeah, so it takes some interpretation, but let's see. Okay, I picked Ublubicon. Okay, showing results instead for Ublek Demon. So I would go, okay, that's close. (laughs) Okay. That. Now I realize it um, sounds kind of like Kublicon. That's probably what he'd do. He'd just say, you were referring to Kublicon. Wait a minute. Ooblek, it's a thing from Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I always think of- That's all I need to know. They're evil. That's bad. I always think of Ooblek as a substance that you can make that has the properties of a solid and a liquid, and it's kind of Oh, like uh, Alex Mack? What? Do you don't remember that show, Alex Mack? The girl who can turn into- Whoa! 
Larissa yeah, Olnick, Snick, which was like Saturday Night Nickelodeon. But yeah, sorry. It was, oh my god! I never had cable growing girl. up. Oh wow! Okay, it was this girl who she had an accident in a science lab, and it mm-hmm. caused her body to be able to turn into water anytime she wanted, and so she would like go under doors and stuff as this oozy substance, and then reconstitute as a human. Oh, okay. Yeah, the secret life of Alex Mack. Okay, anyway, how do we get here? Research devices. Yes. Yes. So he also says Wikipedia can be a really valuable source for this. An iPad can be useful. iPhone. (laughs) He mentions an Android. Yes, okay, phone. We get it. Um, (laughs) No uh, Blackberries, though. Don't even try it. (laughs) I mean, actually, that's good advice. And he also says, you know, depending on where your subject's heritage is from. Uh You might need to look that up, too. Sure. Of course. Sure. Also have some anointing oil with you. Uh, I know my mother-in-law always does. (laughs) My wife just walked by and she looked very guilty. Don't worry. My mom's crazier. (laughs) (laughs) That lifted her spirits a little. So, yeah, having the oil represents the ordination of the high priest. And Bob references Exodus 30, 22, where it gives this elaborate mixture of different spices that you're supposed to put in this anointing oil, 500 shekels of myrrh and all of these other things. And so I'm starting to think like, "Ah, I know Bob doesn't use oil that's that fancy. And he says, again, (laughs) he he, he anticipates my criticism. I know we just stick with olive oil because (laughs) it's the best preservative odor. Anyways, he says that we're not bound by Old Testament laws, so we can throw all of that detail aside, and this oil is just fine. I love that Bob's just going and picking up some EVOO, throwing yep. it on people. Yep. Oh, This whole time as he's giving the list of things that you should have, I'm just surprised that he doesn't have like a Bob Larson branded version of each one. Oh yeah, some Bob Larson olive oil. I'm giving that to Bob's credit that he doesn't sell his own anointing oil because Lord knows a lot of other online ministers do. That's true, but there's still time. I mean, that's an easy markup item, just like, oh, I bought this oil at Costco, and now I'm going to sell it to you at a 4X markup. Yeah, watch my Etsy store. Okay, you should also (laughs) have the Bible with you. Of course. Bob confesses that he prefers using a digital Bible because he likes to highlight But the demon needs to see that physical Bible there. It's not enough to like turn around that iPhone and be like, I'm recording with the iPhone, but also I watch demon watch. I'm opening the Bible app. Watch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my Kindle's dying, but I swear this is the Bible. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, good to have a physical Bible uh, just for the stagecraft. He also mentions that the Bible is part of the armor of God. So oftentimes he'll refer to it as a sword. So you can place it on any part of the body that senses pain. Or any place that has a demonic reaction. So the places he tends to choose seem to be the top of your head and sort of the center of your chest. Like, what's this part of you called? Sternum. Sternum? Yeah. Yeah. He kind of shoves it in there. Also, here we go. Here's the one that you can buy branded from Bob Larson, and that is a cross. Hell yeah. I have a little cross necklace from him that he prayed over, and you have a big old cross from him. Yeah. I got the one that he sells for $100. And he did anoint it with oil and said a quick blessing over it. So, yeah, pretty cool. Hey, I hope it was olive oil. I think oh, it was. Ross is shaking his head. He is proud, 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 proud. 
Yeah, in that same video where I'm holding back the demoniac, the camera swings and you can see Carrie proudly holding out the cross and confronting the demon. Yes, I'm doing my job. So he says that in his experience, the cross is crucial. Some of these other things, maybe you can (laughs) wiggle around, but that cross, you need that for those demons to manifest. It's a crucial fix. Yeah, (laughs) pretty good. I should mention also, he tells the story here of how he got this cross. And I think the story is slightly different every time he tells it. But here he says that he asked his wife to find a comfortable cross, you know, just like a convenient shape and size, not too big, not too small, that would antagonize a demon. And I guess she found this particular design. And I'm curious now, like, did they find the it Goldie at a garage Lux sale? What, you know, where did she find this cross? Because they're making tons of them and selling them at $100 a pop. But yeah, he says that it's just a physical item. It doesn't have any power in and of itself, but these physical items are imbued with kind of the symbology and how the demons understand them. So there you go. And he talks about how some other crosses look a little different. Catholics will have one with a figure of Christ, a true crucifix. Orthodox priests may have an additional bar toward the bottom where the feet go. And I didn't know this because it's often slanted. And I always wondered about that. So apparently it's supposed to be pointing up to the repenting thief and down towards the bad thief, the one that's not going to heaven. What's the it in this? Sorry, that second little bar, the little crossbar by the feet. It's not as big as the top crossbar. Anyways, a little bit of of cross trivia. A little cross talk. So also holy water. Before your session with this person who needs an exorcism, you're going to pray over your water, and that will make demons respond to the water as if it were the blood of Christ. Yep. Yeah. But he, he does later say that technically holy water has to be blessed by clergy. Right. Though he tells you just to say a prayer over it in advance. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, so uh, it's not holy. It's just like a little special. It's like <laughs> angel, angel water. It's better than you are. He also acknowledges that Protestants may be a little uncomfortable with the idea of holy water, but hear me out, he says. And again, he talks about that symbology and how demons respond to it. So it must be useful. It must be doing something if they respond. And so he says that you can just sprinkle it with your hand or even use a brush or, this is a fun word to say, an aspergillum, which is what the Catholic priests actually use. And he had one there that was kind of like, it looked like it was made of bronze or some sort of alloy. And it had sort of an egg shape on the top of a stick. Could easily be like a little percussion musical instrument, but it had- Shake it at you. Yeah, it had holes at the top. So you pre-fill it with water and then, yeah, you shake it. You shake it. Yeah, like a maraca almost. Yeah, shake it like an aspergillum. Come on, shake it. (laughs) Shake it. Shake it like an aspergillum. He also points out that in that newer version of the Ritual Romanum, I think that was the 1999 edition, it actually did away with holy water, but Pope Benedict XVI brought it back. So kicking it old school. Benny. Bringing it back. (laughs) Benny brings it back. Do you have a Ritual Romanum? I don't. Yeah, me neither. We should. We got to read the Ritual Romanum. Yeah, we should. Or we should have one. I wonder if we went online and looked around if we could find like an older one, kind of like Bob oh, has. Oh, girl, for Christmas, I tried to find you a very fancy ritual Romanum. <gasps> I spent ages on it. That would have um, been fantastic. 
But I wasn't sure if you already had one, so I was trying to slide it into this conversation. But as I mentioned it, I thought Ross is going to go write that on a list and buy me one, so I better stop him so I can still buy him one. Shoot. Well, you shouldn't have brought it up, (laughs) but now I will forget that, and then I'll remember when I'm doing my edit on this episode. Oh, touche. And then I'll forget again. Perfect. But I'll have a witness there taking notes, and they'll remind me. (laughs) Someone else remind me quietly in... Uh, somewhere around like June. Okay. Okay. So then communion, you're going to want to be prepared to have your exercisee receive the Lord's table. Yeah. And he showed this little product. Again, he doesn't sell it on his website. Instead, he refers you to various other like Bible bookstores and Christian supply chains. It was this kind of gimmicky little plastic cup that was sort of like a flared cylinder that had the wine already in there, and I'll bet you money that it's grape juice. Though I guess if you leave it long enough, maybe it'll change. And then there's like this little built-in wafer on the top, and you can easily just sort of like pop it open, and you've got your wafer already. And Like, I bet if Jesus saw that, he would throw all those out, and he would say, you've made a mockery of my body and my blood. Yeah. And then he'd whip so everybody. Cheap. <laughs> he'd whip everybody? Yeah, that's what Jesus does, did he, remember? Did he- When he turned over the tables, did he whip everybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He went around and he was like hitting people. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I love how that was. Don't do that. That was such an appropriate reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That dude. Chill out. No figs. People selling stuff. Whip them? God. Not impressed. Okay. Well. Communion can be used in several ways. It can be used to invite Jesus into your exorcism process. Mm-hmm. It can help prepare the person receiving for what's about to happen. Or you can use it to torment the demon inside them. Yeah. So Bob says this can actually be used as kind of a diagnostic device. Maybe he mentions this uh, later in the next course. But if you're having a hard time getting a demon to manifest, one of the ways that you can sort of tease it out is say like, hey, let's do communion, buddy. And then yeah. you both take communion. And if they have a hard time doing that, if they're like, oh, I can't, then you'll be like, aha, I found you, demon. It feels like right around here in courses nine and 10 of level three, we finally get what you would actually retain as the tips for figuring this out. So you finally are like, oh, okay, I hold up a cross and see how they react. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I hold, the, I give them a communion cup and see if they freak out. That's the stuff you would actually keep in your brain. As like the to things this, to like, do in an exorcism. <laughs> right, but also to distinguish, you know, he gives us all those very bizarre and contradictory instructions about how to discern if this is mental illness. You know, they're just all very murky and not very specific. Mm-hmm. This is what I would just be like, okay. There we go. She is possessed. Now we know. Well, Carrie, you've really intrigued me about this course 10 titled The Exorcism. Finally. <laughs> Finally. Finally. After all this, we've gotten to the course that teaches us how to conduct an exorcism. Yes. So he tells us 
that the difference between success and failure can often be attributed to how effectively people follow these guidelines. And he says, no, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, but then why didn't Jesus spell them out in the Bible? Well, good point. Mm. But Jesus Mm -hmm. also didn't spell out in the Bible that we should have Sunday school or there should be a choir at church or an altar call, but we still do those Or that we need to set up a church and get tax-exempt status. Yeah. There's (laughs) all these little practical things that we do because that's how you get it done so you know fair point okay yeah okay so it's finally time to learn how to do it someone's asked you to give them deliverance okay carrie let's start with the checklist we want to pre-flight make sure that we've got ourselves ready for this so first of all look at your location is it a safe place Do you have a toilet? Do you have water available? Is there a wastebasket? You might need some tissues. Is it relatively noise-proof? Are you going to be upsetting your neighbors with the, ah, ah, die? (laughs) Do you have carpet? You know, maybe you're going to end up on the floor. We don't want people to get hurt. You don't want any- there may be vomit on the floor. Oh, good point. Then in that case, like with my cat, it's going to be like, oh, you're making that noise. It sounds like you might vomit. Let's get you into the kitchen because that's going to be easy to clean. You also don't want to have any glass objects nearby or like dangerous items. So if you've got like a little rack of katana swords, might be the time to put that away. And we all do. You want to make sure that your client has filled out a release. Mm -hmm. He's very big on CYA. Cover that ass up. Sure. And that's one way to get release (laughs) from a demon. Uh, Right, correct. Demon, have you handed in your release? Also, take your profile. You want to, yeah, get their history and everything. And kind of already know why they think they might be possessed. Okay, here's another checklist point. There's no indication of prior psychological or psychiatric treatment that would preclude you from potential ethical interference. Again, this feels like him covering his ass. So if I Mm. come back and say, well, I tried to follow everything, but... It turned out they just needed a different sort of help, and now they're mad at me. He could say, Mm -hmm. well, did you look at number three in course Uh, 10 of level three? Yeah, this was the time when you should have told me X. This is on you. He also wants you to make sure that there's a reasonable possibility of demonization. So make sure you've established there's a demon before you try to exercise a demon. I actually applaud that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, if he actually follows through on it. Also, you want to recruit some assistance, so you might need people there to provide prayer or just, again, a witness. As noted before, if the profile you've taken suggests to you that there might be violence involved, you want to make sure there's people there to help you restrain that person and keep everybody safe. Mm -hmm. All the materials that we talked about in the last course, bring those along. You've spent time praying and looking over the profile to try to figure out like what your basic steps are going to be here. You want to have met with the client in advance. Do some inner healing work with them, kind of get them to a place where they're right and ready for this and understand what's involved. That actually sounds good. Again, you can kind of say on one hand that's sort of preparing the outcome that you want. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's doing due diligence. So I'll accept that. I wonder, though, if all the people that come to his big conferences in hotels, if he we know that sometimes he has encountered them before, but. Yeah, though I feel like from our perspective, having come in as observers, I think my first impression was, oh, this is his first time meeting this person. I think kind of like a magician, you know, he doesn't want them to look like a plant in the audience. 
he does this whole big thing where he goes around and he looks at everybody in the eye and then he just happens to lock eyes with the person that he's done pre-counseling with. Yeah, there's a little bit of stagecraft going on there. Absolutely. And I also think he probably does sometimes call on people that he hasn't Mm -hmm. talked to before, which would not be in line with this particular instruction. Right. But maybe he's just such an expert. He can Exactly. He yeah, he'd be do. like, oh, I've been doing this so many decades. I can skip a lot of these, these yeah. steps. <laughs> he also mentions that if the person that you're giving the exorcism to has dissociative identity disorder, then you will have to, as much as you can, identify all the different altars and minister to them first. Boy, this is another murky suggestion. So, okay, mm-hmm. so I am going forward, even though I've definitely determined that they have DID. Right. In which case, then I'm sure he would say, well, but also you've determined that not only do they have this psychological condition, but they all it's either demon caused or demon exacerbated or somehow there's a demonic element that we can address. And you want to make sure every possible legal right has been renounced and all the strongholds have been addressed. The curse is broken. I wish you wouldn't call it legal rights, especially since he's talking about paperwork and... Oh, yeah, good point. Like, actual legal liability. Anyways, that's your checklist. And then he's got some thoughts on proceeding, kind of your next checklist of things to be thinking about and looking for. Yes. So first, you're going to want to focus. You're not going to be able to deal with every problem this person has or every demon this person has. Focus on the most important issue. Is it that they used to be mixed up in the occult? Is it that they're having a bunch of sex and they shouldn't be? Is it that they have the demon of anger? Focus in. Pick your battles. Also, look for dark secrets of the soul. Ask them, is there something you need to tell me? And maybe quote John 8.32 to them. Let them know that your sins will find you out. Yep, just Bob looking for dirt. Bob loves to hear people's salacious stories. Remind yourself and remind the client that God has a purpose for their life. And these demons are holding back their destiny. You want to remind them that it's not just about getting the spirits out, but also sort of getting God in, getting them refocused on their purpose. Also, you want to let them know that they're going to have to be willing to commit to a lifestyle change, that they have a drug problem. They got to give that up. And then you can feel Bob like trying to think of other things to address. He's like, I'll just stick with drugs. And then he moves on. (laughs) Um, Talk about their family dynamics. Maybe they need to learn some things about a healthy family life and getting along and being nice to your kids and that kind of stuff. And then he says, focus on facts, not fault. And while this sounds very polite, it kind of feels just more like repackaging to me. So Mm. he says, I tell almost everyone I minister to that I'm looking for the facts, not for who's at fault. First, I might say, uh, oh, this seems to have happened to you because you were sexually abused. But Mm. I'm not saying that makes it your fault. I'm saying those are just the facts. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 <laughs> but that, just, those are just words. Yeah, he just wants to give more encouragement for them to air all their dirty laundry for him and, and feel as intimidated to do so as possible. He also says to get out of the way. You can only have one state of consciousness there at once. So he wants to let people know if you feel the demon come up, just let it do its thing. Don't try to fight it. Don't try to assert yourself because... If you've got altars, if you've got demonic presence, I can only talk to one of them at a time. I can't have multiple layers of consciousness. This will come up a lot. And he reminds you, now listeners, you might be surprised by this. 
But Christians actually can have demons. What? Yes, I know. Why didn't he tell us this before? (laughs) Why didn't he have multiple units just on this one simple fact? Yep, so you want to make sure... One last time that the person standing in front of you doesn't have the misconception that Christians can't have demons. Why are they in front of you at this point if they think that? They're like, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in possession, but also I have this problem with demons inside me. Bob says that he's gotten into exorcisms and had people say, wait, I can't have a demon. I'm a Christian. And he has to give his whole talk mid-exorcism. It seems like at that point, just be like, well, clearly you do. Uh, right. Also, he says to pray for revelation, even supernatural revelation. Wonder what that even means. What What would he consider supernatural revelation in this case? So yeah, I think say. that's probably like a table moving, something that is truly inexplicable. Yeah, or like, does he think it's just learning something from God that there's no way he could have known? I don't know. He doesn't mm. give examples. Something you could IIG test. That's why I want specifics. I want to test you on this, Bob. There's uh, $250,000 in it. Also, you should be led by the Spirit. Just make sure that it's the Spirit working through you, that it's not your actions, that it's not you, Bob, trying to seek acclaim. Really check in with that gut. Okay, now how to bring the demon to manifestation. It's not enough to hope that the demon will manifest. You got to bring it out. You can't just pray over someone and be like, the demon's gone. You need to talk to that demon. Mm -hmm. It's come forth, identify itself, and fight with you, basically. So (laughs) he says, you're going forward with an exorcism because the person indicates previous supernatural activity or friends have seen demonic manifestations. And I wrote down in my notes, like, this is the clearest instruction you've ever given me. So these are the two things to look for? Yeah. I mean, at this point in this course, here's now where we get down to brass tacks and we actually finally learn, like, what to do now that we've yeah. gotten past all of this preparation and foreplay. <laughs> like, it's time Exegesis. to actually- <laughs> Yeah. So, Okay. Yeah. He says that every demon is going to have like a different response. Some are going to be really reluctant. Some are going to spring right out and be wild. Again, they're all special snowflakes and they have their different personalities. I just suddenly realized, wait, you don't get snowflakes from hell. They're all little flakes of ash. Okay, perfect. Ash flakes. You fucking ash flake. Now he gets to launch into the ways that you provoke a demon, get it to show itself. As you point out, this is what should have been course one. Finally, in this course, he actually starts playing little clips from some of his exorcisms where you can mm-hmm. see him doing these things he's talking about. I was like, this is the course I signed up for. This is what I wanted. Out of 15 and a half hours, this is the oh 47 my. minutes I... This is what I came for. Okay, here are the tactics you use to bring demons to the surface for interrogation to perform the exorcism. Number one, Ross is doing it at me through Zoom. It is the stare. And uh-oh, I'm doing it wrong because there should be no hint of a smile. You want to stare right into their eyes, into their soul, and antagonize them. He often holds the cross right. Oh, that's good, Carrie. That's a good stare. He holds the cross in front of his face. He commands the demon to keep its eyes open and look at him because, you know, maybe they can hold up the, a pretense for a while and be like, oh, I don't, I don't know what's going on. But if you keep it, oh, Carrie's keeping it up. Okay. But if you keep it up, you know, they're going to quite possibly buckle and he'll pray he'll say let my eyes 
be your eyes. Let me pierce into their soul. And then he'll look for, I love this, he looks for twitching or body language that indicates that he's making contact. And I feel like with Bob, like if you stare at someone long enough, they're going to do something. Yeah. anything and you can interpret it as like aha demon i got you think of that book i read where he talked about how that one girl kept being overcome by the demon of sleep oh my god <laughs> ross started staring at me all evil like while i was looking away from the screen and it was scary <laughs> when i came back <sighs> but remember in that one book where he was like he did that exorcism on that girl for hours and then said and then she was overcome oh. with the demon of sleep and we had to like <laughs> Slap her awake. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we call non-falsifiability, a situation (laughs) in which any response can be interpreted within the framework that needs proof. Okay, number two, the taunt. Ooh, the taunt. So yeah, you know, I never really thought about this before, that his attitude is very, yeah, taunty, very um, sort of backward psychology stuff. Right, like, oh, you've done a really good job, demon. You've really uh, damaged this person quite a bit, haven't you? Yeah, you're really proud, aren't you? Oh, you got her to fuck. He wouldn't say fuck, but he- This reminds uh, me- (laughs) Right. You, you must feel really good when she when you hear her go down to old Matthew's house, her boyfriend. This reminds me of uh, one time that I got to sit in a water tank, like where you dunk somebody. <laughs> and I was yelling taunts at people. And it was really fun coming up with taunts. <laughs> it's like the one situation in my life where it's my job to yell antagonizing, insulting things at people. And it was kind oh, of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get dunked? Yeah, a few times. Nice. Yeah, get it, was, dunked. it was a sunny day. Yeah, it was actually pretty funny. It was at uh, CFI. They put up a little sign that said, dunk the psychic. So I was making little jokes about <laughs> like, I can hear your grandmother. She says you never could throw. <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, cold taunting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, next, divide the soul and the spirit. So we talked about this in a prior episode, but the idea is the soul and spirit are separate and you need to get at that spirit because that's, no, wait. Oh, I keep doing it backwards. You got to get at the soul. Because that's where the demon resides. And he like mentions scripture that you can read to them, which we've mentioned before on the show. But I love it how he just assumes that somehow demons are scripture experts or really enjoy hearing the scripture. or The scripture has some influence on their decision making in life. I don't know. No, they hate it. Just seems weird. I guess maybe that's it. Okay, next you need to pierce them with God's word. And then he uses run a knife right through them. (laughs) Of course, yeah, we've talked about how he'll hit them with the Bible and various body parts. But here he uses a scriptural defense that is, I think, the worst of this whole lesson, uh, at least these four lessons that we're we're talking about now. He points to Ecclesiastes 4.12 and highlights the verse, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And that is why... You need to bind the demons together with a cord, a metaphorical cord that he's referring to. Mm-hmm. I mean, this I would be more impressed if Bob yeah. added to his list of materials like an actual three-stranded cord. It's like, and it's mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. that it's three and not four. A braid, yeah. <laughs> right. Braids That's, are strong, so exorcism's real. I follow. I don't understand why he's using that verse or what it has to do with any of this. That was... Dumb. Probably a Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing, but who knows. Okay, then you're going to anoint them with oil. This is going to be sticky and gross, but you're going to get out your EVOO. What he often does is make the sign of the cross on their forehead. Yep. Uh, You also want to sprinkle them with the holy water. We've talked about that. Wash that oil right off. 
and touch them with the cross. Same effect here. You're freaking out that demon. Too much good stuff. And they I'm chose I'm going to wash that oil right off of your forehead. I'm going <laughs> to wash that oil. Touch them with the cross, yeah. Read them some scripture. Some demons are aroused by passages of confidence or faith or deliverance. He gives like a list of Psalms and passages from Isaiah. So here you go. Here's some good reading. Psalms 511, 27, 1 through 3, 35, verse 1. Or Isaiah 27, chapter 40, verses 29 to 31, or chapter 41, verses 10 through 3. All right, I'm giving those numbers 1 through 6. Pick a random number, Carrie, and I'll read that reference. Between 1 and 6, inclusive? Yeah. Uh, yes. 2. Okay, so that's going to be Psalm 27, 1 through 3. Let's read it to all you demons out there. Uh-oh. This one goes out to all you demons out there. <laughs> The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Clap, 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 clap. Okay, so, I want to do one. Okay, I'm going to say... Verse. Read Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk, they will walk and, and not, not faint. be faint. Oh, boy, that one was like on every Christian bookmark growing bookmark! up. Bookmark! Oh, my yes. God, yes, bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> Along with, of course, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Very good. Well, uh, if... And I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? <laughs> totally. All right, so if you heard any of those and you started uncontrollably writhing on the floor, you might have a demon. You might. What else can I do, Carrie? Well, you can employ confessional statements. Yeah, they need jobs. Do I have to pay them $15 an hour? Oh, boy, there's varying takes on that. But <laughs> I would say so. I would say yes. Anyway, you're thinking of the wrong definition of employ. In this case, we just mean to use. Oh, okay. Confessional statements. So you want to make sure that the demons know that they have no right. I think that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right that they don't have rights. Yeah, so, right. so Bob wants to get the demon to say that it has no rights. Right. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Correct on the no rights. Right on the no rights. But you could also call on angels for help. Right. And they will smite. He kept using oh, the word dear. smite. He's very smitten with that. So the angels <laughs> will smite the demons for you and cause them pain. And again, he admits he doesn't know the mechanism of that. He doesn't know exactly what it is that they do that makes the demons writhe and squirm, but you know, they don't seem to like it, so... But he well knows it's not a miracle. Keep it up. <laughs> That's right. There's one thing Bob knows. You can also put the demon down when necessary, and we're not here talking about euthanizing the demon, but like talk down to it, back kind of to the taunting. That would be convenient, though, if you could just put down the demon. But yeah, when Bob says put down, he means time to switch consciousnesses. So this was an interesting little, uh, I don't know if it's a Bobism or what, but the idea is when it's time for you to talk to the human in there, 
You put the mm-hmm. demon down and then the human comes up. Oh, 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 okay. When it's time to talk to the demon again, all right, Jimmy, I want you to go down and I want demon to come back uh, up. Come back, okay, Beelzebub. Okay, another term for like presenting or fronting. Okay, mm-hmm. or the opposite, I suppose. So the demon goes down and then the primary person would front. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have the client tell you what they hear. This is really interesting. If they're getting some sort of information from the demon inside themselves that you can't hear with your normal, a miraculous ears, they can tell you. And Bob tells them, even if it's absurd or if it's even blasphemous, that's fine. Just let it come out, whatever you're hearing. He wants to hear it. Come on. We all know it. <laughs> oh, he just wants to be called a dirty little, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Slut or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for the fanfic uh, yeah. <laughs> that I uh, spun there. Don't go down rabbit holes. Trails, or yeah. Or as he called them, rabbit trails. Sure, yeah, that works. The demon may try to distract you and get you to talk about something else or put you on the defensive. Don't fall for it. Which, boy, must be hard advice to implement when you're talking to a demon and it wants to talk about how many generations it's lived and all sorts Mm. of shit. That's got to be tough. Well, my Aunt Susan knew a woman who, well, she went to school with her and actually it wasn't her roommate, but it was the roommate of her friend and they would get together every Thursday. No, no. And actually, where did they go? Hold on. This is going to drive me crazy. Let me Google this. It might have been a donut shop or the theater. I think they went to both. And so don't don't let them get carried don't away with that. Don't let them do it. You Put know demons, they tell you boring shit. Don't <laughs> react to intimidation. Yeah, so you got to keep up that powerful front. You got to maintain control of this. This is the one that I really failed at when I did my exorcism as a young person. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You were not ready. Well, you know, even Bob admits later that he's made mistakes when he was getting started out. We're all going to do it. So that's just part of the process. Well, I sure did. I got scared and I hung up the phone and I immediately regretted it. Yeah. One thing I like that Bob does here is that he gives you kind of a script. He tells you in these circumstances, phrases that you can use. Yeah, we're narrowing in on actual instruction. Yeah, exactly. The stuff we've been waiting for, Bob. So he feels like when you're trying to avoid the rabbit trail and you're trying to keep the demon honest, you can tell them, I hold that answer to be judged by the Holy Spirit and you will be struck if you don't comply or if you don't give me a truthful answer. Another tactic is to have the demon repeat after me and have them say something and they have to repeat after you. So one of the lines was, I, as the demon, and he'll let you repeat every you know, clause or phrase. Oh, right, 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 yes. Trespassing the soul of this individual, like you're doing marriage vows or something. Renounce my right in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Christ. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I have down a different one. But yeah, he has a few little different ways you can say it. It kind of reminds you of like marriage vows, how the guts and glue will kind of be the same no matter who did it. But like you have your own little spin on it. Yeah. Another thing that you got to watch out for while you're exercising is that curses may get flung your way. And if you're not paying attention, you could get a curse. So Bob even demonstrated sort of like a backhand with the Bible. You just Mm -hmm. get ready to like swat that curse away. I'm going to swat that curse right out of my hair. But also we know that all you have to do if you get a curse is say the curse is broken. So why not just every night be like, all my curses are broken. <laughs> I like Carrie said that with like a little roll of the eyes. <laughs> Canceled. Well, can you imagine if we had to do that for every one of the religions we've looked into <laughs> to say they're protective incantations? Oh Canceled. My God. Impossible. 
Love is well. Love under will. <laughs> There's no part of me that is not of the gods. Yeah, there would be a lot of those. So you're going to want to keep your client focused on their faith. And there are some things you're going to need to know from the demon. So you want to know the name of the first manifesting demon. Like whoever comes up first, it's important that they came up first. Hi, what's your name? <laughs> what's up? I'm so sorry. I know I'm really bad with names. What's your name? <laughs> Beelzebub? Beelzebub? Yeah. I'm so sorry. This is so embarrassing. I'm so bad with that. I'm probably butchering it. Of course, Beelzebub. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. This is so embarrassing. Like, (laughs) oh, my God. I'm so bad with names. It's like the teacher who stands up on the first day of class and is like, I'm sorry in advance if I butcher (laughs) your name. (laughs) Right. Uh, Well-meaning. Okay. The function or primary identity. Sure. What do you do? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> everybody go around and say your name, what you do, and something interesting about yourself. You need to find out who the who the main demon is, so like who's in charge here. I'm Radishay. I grew up in Oakland, and I'm in between jobs right now, but ordinarily I like to haunt anybody who has gone to a haunted house before. No, out of the way, Radishay. I am Mammon. I am a stronghold. Oh, hey, Mammon. What do you do? I drive greed, but not capitalism, but just generally like bad, greedy things that Bob does not approve of. Oh, thanks for coming. We're so glad you're here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What other demons are part of this kingdom? So we have multiple. Are there any remaining legal rights? This starts a long list of things that you might discover anew and afresh in the course of your exorcism. So we've gone over them ad nauseum, but you got to keep checking for them because hope and demons spring eternal. And boy, if you do keep finding them, more work for you and you're oh, paid comedian. by the hour. <laughs> Are there any remaining strongholds? You want to know those too? Mm-hmm. Any curses? Mm-hmm. Anything that demon can hold on to? Yeah, soul bonds that need to be broken. There might be new and deeper soul bonds. Sometimes just by doing this encounter, that's going to clear the path for you to uncover bigger and deeper and more demons and strongholds and soul bonds. Later, he said something regarding that. He said that deliverance is a process and that person might need to come to you for more prayer ministry for other demons, which could subsequently emerge Often the first exorcism only blows the lid off, and over time, other areas of bondage are revealed, which is so Hmm. fucked. (laughs) Like, it really really gives away the game for me, because that's the same stuff that recovered memory therapists tell you. I mean, you're just sort of being inculcated into the system where you interpret all of your highest emotions in this new way. Right. And then now, like, when you do have an overwhelming emotion again, you're like, oh, that's okay. Oh, that's one oh, of them. Oh, now I got to figure out, right, what the source of that is. Kind of a yeah. never-ending feedback loop. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a real trap. And this is where he introduces another thing that you might discover, an AGD or a DST. Yeah. What are those? So those are new terms for this course. One is the AGD. And- I don't like that he's named them in a way that it makes it sound like a psychology term because it's obviously like some kind of Bob term. An AGD is an ancestral generational dissociation. That's a soul imprint from the past, hence the generational. 
Okay, before or, you were born. Right, or you might find a DST, which is a dissociated soul transference. That's a soul imprint or a soul fragment from the present, which can happen from a relationship or through an astral projection. Whoa. Bob mentions that, or a soul bond with an abusive person. Yeah, so this is like, this is some advanced academy stuff that he's going to expound upon more in those courses. But here he at least just introduces it so that you as an exorcist will know that there's a whole other bag of tricks he hasn't talked about yet. Yeah, that sounds like the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the final steps. There are several stages in this process. So first, have the demon bind himself to his entire kingdom. Get all those personalities in one room because you're going to kick them out together. Also, command that any curse be lifted and specify like anything that you've learned from this interrogation process. Like bring back all of those things that you've established about what this demon does and Mm. is uh, intending. Show you've been listening. Right. Um, Shows you care. Exactly. Have the demon release the host's destiny and purpose. Actually, I'm surprised that Jeremiah 29.11 doesn't come into this. Oh, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Yeah. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. I bet the demons hate that one. That sounds like a anti-demon kind of verse. Exactly. Make them writhe. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, want him to have hope in a future. You can, if necessary, demand that any health, or finances, or relationships be restored sevenfold. And here he invokes uh, Proverbs 6.31 as his backing for the principle, which he calls the law of restitution. And in the same way, God will call down his wrath seven times greater than whatever number of wrath units the demons have produced. <laughs> God, oh, right. God will triple them. And then invoke the final surrender. Get that demon to say, you are good. God is good. I am bad. I don't like myself. I go to the pit. So if you have been to any of Bob's exorcisms, less likely, or you've seen any of his YouTube exorcisms, more likely, you've probably seen him walk the demon through this repeat after me that is, um, well, it's kind of fun. So why don't you repeat after me? I. Okay. I. Name of demon. Oh, right. What would my demon be? Oh, shoot. Boy, the world is your oyster. There's so many yeah, demons you could right? be. Okay, okay, okay. What would be like woman who doesn't submit to her husband or whatever? That's probably Jezebel, right? <laughs> They're Jezebel. all Jezebel, just pretending Jezebel. to be other okay. women. There's all only right. one real woman character. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, Jezebel. Bind myself. Bind myself. I need to go a little more, Bob, here. To all my kingdom. To all my kingdom. And kind as one. And kind as one. Together we renounce. Together we renounce. Every right. Every right. To this woman of God. To this woman of God. We lift the curse of. We lift the curse of. Insert curse specifics including name, number of generations, etc. We lift the curse of disobedience to one's husband. We lift the curse of disobedience to one's husband. Boo, very bad. For the past five generations. For the past five, 
Probably not. But yeah, okay, for the last five generations. For what we have done to torment this woman. For what we have done to torment this poor woman. And all her ancestors. And all her ancestors, at least going back to the last one who obeyed. We receive the judgment of God seven times greater. Mm, We receive the judgment of God seven times greater. You may pause as the demon reacts to the torment you've just invoked. (laughs) You can also, like, you can wait. You can also use the Bible or your cross with a striking motion. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many options. You know, improvise. See where the spirit leads you. To scare someone. Having no more right to this child of God. Having no more right to this child of God. We release her destiny. We release her destiny. Having no further legal right to stay. Having no further legal right to stay. We all go. We all go. Now. Now. To. To. The. The. Pit. Pit. Yeah, he he goes like word by word at the end there. Yay. Oh, I'm oh, so look, glad you're demon one... free, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you. That one paragraph is basically what we paid over a thousand dollars for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a sad way to think about that. <laughs> now you're judging like from their reactions. Mm-hmm. Okay, is she back to Carrie or is there still something going on? She's still growling, she's still kicking. But most of the time, it seems like people kind of read in Bob's demeanor that, oh, okay, that was like, that was the climax. I'm supposed to denouement now. (laughs) I was just thinking that, exactly. So he says, yeah, they could go with a bang or a whimper. Make sure you just keep applying pressure, demand they be gone until, you know, now we're calm. And go ahead, anoint them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Get out that oil. E-V-O-O. Invoke the Holy Spirit to go in them, but not the angels, because for some reason you can't fill up the hotel with angels. Psh. You can tell them to go in there, but they won't. So then you can lay your hand on their head and declare the peace of God, the presence of Christ, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's nice. You know, actually, just saying that reminded me, another attribute of angels is that they don't respond to human command, so you can't tell them what to do, but... You can kind of invite God to surround you with his angels or invite God to have his angels torment the demon. I just wanted to make sure that no one out there was going to go around and start like ordering angels to do things. That's not how that works. That's how you're going to run into trouble. Mm -hmm. But like earlier, I got the impression that I call upon the angels to help me with God, like as if they would sort of intercede for me or vote on my behalf. And now it sounds like it's the other way. I feel like even after Bob gave us that injunction, he himself kind of used the line calling upon angels to something. I was like, that sounds a lot like you telling an angel what to do, but okay. Yeah. So now you're going to let the person have a few moments. They're going to recover. They might be really exhausted. They might be in pain, physical or emotional. Yeah, he had an interesting couple terms here to describe possible mental states. As their conscious selves, they could have experienced co-consciousness, where they're sort of alert and aware of what was happening the whole time and they remember it, or oblivion, meaning... I totally blacked out. I don't, what did I do? What did I call you? Oh, my, did I do that? Oh, did I break that vase over there? You shouldn't have had a vase. That should have been on your checklist. So he says, this is a good time to fill them in, give them the details they might have forgotten. And bless the person who plays along by doing that. 
Then there are some directives for aftercare. Much like an ayahuasca trip, you got to integrate afterward. You don't just put someone through something like this and send them off. Totally. Yeah. Can you imagine, Ross? God. (laughs) So instead, you're going to remind them that they've been set free. Again, deliverance is a process. They might need to come back to you a lot. They may need to pay you $200, $300 a pop a bunch of times. I'm just like picturing someone getting up off the floor, kind of wiping away the spittle, uh, well, thanks, everybody. That was really good. Oh, yeah. Do you do you validate parking? <laughs> like, yeah. How do you end this? Um, he tries I'll, to chill you out. I always think of that in movies, like when you see someone go through a terrible exorcism, and then the end of the movie is always <laughs> like right after they've come back, and it's like, Oh my gosh, wow, mom's back. Slow pan out of the house. But I always just think like, what happened next? Yeah, yeah. Well, dinner. Did they buy a new bed or just replace the post that got broken? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Who cleans the sheets? Yeah. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, Kimberly has soccer. (laughs) Are you ready to drive her to soccer (laughs) practice or like, do you need a while? Oh my God. So you're also going to want to tell your charge to not listen to the lies of Satan, that Satan might say things like, oh, we didn't really leave. We'll be back. You'll pay for this, which I'm thinking, wait, are those lies? Because you just told me they might really come back. Yeah. Okay. Catch 22 there. Yeah. But, you know, insist that they keep on reading scripture, that they go to a church, that they get baptized if they haven't, that they pray regularly. You don't want them to just think this is a one and done deal. It's if not. they say, we'll be back soon, you'll see, you'll remember you belong to us. They might be a demon of King George the third. That, that was said <laughs> so not in song. But I have to think, what was that? Why does that sound familiar? That's the role that you're <laughs> oh, destined to it's play. It's a role that I constantly ask to be given to me. <laughs> I would make a really good King George, everybody. If you're going to do a legal production of Hamilton, I would like to play King George. In legal your- rights. <laughs> okay. Remind this person about Deuteronomy 722. We all know it. <laughs> That famous verse that says the children of Israel occupied the promised land little by little, which somehow is a metaphor for demon possession. Wouldn't it be funny if like after all this, they're like, don't quote more scripture at me, Bob. I've had enough scripture. I've had enough day here with your scripture. I really only like the NIV, so... Then the whole process starts all over again. (laughs) And... Rejoice, praise, give God the glory. Give uh, God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. I haven't thought about that one for a long time. At this point, like we're getting towards the end of this final video and Bob is kind of getting softer in tone, giving us all these encouraging words and, you know, you've done it. We've reached out to those bound by the forces of darkness. And now the time has come for you to take up the ministry. I'm sharing my mantle with you, a piece of what I've received from the Lord. I am now passing on to you. You know, you're not going to do it all right. You're going to make mistakes, but the Holy Spirit is going to guide you along and remind you piece by piece of what I've taught you here. You may not remember it all at once, but it'll come back to you. All right. I trust it. I'm going to go hang up a shingle and become an exorcist now. Yeah, we're equipped. So after we finished this, they sent us each a certificate. The certificate's so funny. 
you get emails every time you finish one of these courses. You get an email saying, yay, you finished this particular course. And then you get another email saying, here's your score on your quiz. And at the end, they let you know to call up and request your certificate. And when I did this, I want to say we'd already started releasing episodes in the series. So I was a little little concerned that I would call up and be told like, oh, it's you. But no, she was very friendly and she sent me my certificate right away. Nice. So uh, I have a photo here I've pulled up of me holding my certificate on the day I received it. And it says, International School of Exorcism, Bob Larson, founder and president, certificate of completion in recognition that Carrie Poppy has completed the apprentice, warrior, and exorcist levels. I have therefore inscribed my signature this fourth day of February 2020, Dr. Bob Larson, president. Okay. How do you Um, feel, Carrie? Oh my God. I'm just so excited to finally be a certified exorcist. It's what my parents have always, like when I was a kid, they were always like, you know, what do you want to be? And I was like, I don't know, like a reporter or an (laughs) actor or a philosopher. And they were like, please be an exorcist and I was like this is just not my calling that's your thing you know but now they're finally going to be proud what about you that's good yeah I've been talking about this one for a long time to co-workers and friends they all know I've been working on my exorcism degree credential so just to have it now is definitely a feather in my cap I would say of all of the various certificates and completions that we've gotten in the course of these investigations, this is the one of which I am most proud. Aw, good job to you. It only you. took <laughs> a decade. Most of <laughs> most of the length of this podcast. Not this episode, this podcast. This podcast, that's right. Yeah, oh my God. Wait, did it take... You yeah, said we, you got we it started in at the beginning. Okay, so it took almost 10 years to get that one paragraph of description on how to do an exorcism. Yep, that's that's about which right, is- which which <laughs> he says at all of his performances, so really we could just yeah, repeat it. absolutely. But we wouldn't have a piece of paper that says we know it. We know how to spend our money well. <laughs> <laughs> so go to MaximumFun.org forward slash joined. That's right, because, you know, I might have plunked down more cash on additional courses with Bob that I'll talk about later. But yeah, this is a great sense of completion. This is fun. Speaking of which, our 10-year anniversary of this podcast is coming up very soon. That's right. March 11th? That's what came to my mind, so. Yeah, I think that's right. right. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, wow. Wow. 10 years. You know, like certain things feel like the amount of time that they actually are and some things feel shorter and some things feel longer. I'd say Mm -hmm. this feels shorter. Like that surprises me that it's been 10 years. It would surprise me if we didn't talk about it all the time, but Mm. I think it feels shorter for sure. Emotionally, it doesn't feel like 10 years of stuff. It's been too fun. But also when somebody asks me, oh, what have you investigated? I can come up with maybe six things off the top of my head. And then I just start like searching like, wait, I know there's tons more, but my my brain doesn't work that way. It won't just give me like a long list. And when I actually list it out for a presentation or something, I think, holy hell, we've looked into a lot of stuff. Whenever I'm asked, one of the first things that comes to mind is always ear candling. (laughs) It's like episode two and only you did it. 
That's and funny. Still, my ear candling. There's a good example. That's funny. My go-to for alt med is usually reflexology. I'll mention that. Oh, like okay. That, like that was a super significant episode or something. I mean, oh, it was good. Man. It was well, good. We're fixed. A little bit of follow-up from yeah. our last episode. You mentioned a hot tip on ways to find a therapist if you're having difficulty finding someone who's evidence-based or like maybe dealing with a controversial diagnosis that it's hard to find good therapy for. So the advice you mentioned was about reaching out to your local psychology department. Mm -hmm. And I happen to have two friends who are, well, they're a married couple, Jacqueline and Mike, and they're both psychology professors. So I thought I'd reach out to them and just get their reaction. So Jacqueline was the first to respond. She said, there's a couple factors to consider. The first is that universities are often disconnected from the clinical world. So if the Mm -hmm. university has a clinical program, you may be able to find a connection. The second thing to consider is how the person is going to pay. So like Medi-Cal versus private pay, you know, that's another factor. The third is the condition being treated because there are different evidence-based treatments for different conditions and not all therapists are trained in every one. She said that Psychology Today has a find a therapist link on their website, which is pretty helpful. Additionally, the Department of Mental Health has a hotline and can connect folks to services. County providers and those reimbursed by the county, often nonprofits, have to have staff trained in various evidence-based treatments. Those were all some recommendations. But she said back to the original question, if the school has a graduate clinical program offering MFT or PsyD or clinical PhD degrees, then those would be particularly good connections. And then I I mentioned that we were talking about specifically in that episode, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, and schizophrenia. And she said, oh, yeah, definitely BPD is best treated by DBT, which you mentioned on the show. And sorry to throw out more acronyms. I know we unpacked those in the previous (laughs) episode. Dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh, So someone would look for a therapist trained in that. For the other two, it would be helpful to find both psychiatrists and therapists who work together and specialize. Fairly good advice. Psychology Today, I will say, I've seen like a lot of real up and down shit on there, but (laughs) the rest sounds right. Meaning like individual articles and opinion pieces. Yeah, and it does seem like their like therapist search is pretty broad. I don't think it's very vetted. Let's see. Mike chimed in. He mentioned that uh, there are also internship programs where departments cultivate relationships with providers, but there's usually no direct line or anything. And then it turned into a conversation about Bob Larson. But yeah, I was thinking also (laughs) that whenever you talk to a professional, usually they're excited to share their best knowledge and practices and help people who need help. So we also got an email from Sarah Lancaster. And she just wanted to add some more feedback to that. She said that she is an LICSW. Let's see, that's licensed, independent, something Uh, social worker. Clinical social worker. Clinical social worker, okay. And she owns her own private therapy practice. She says, you nailed DBT as the best way to treat borderline personality disorder. Oh, speaking of which, we got other feedback about that, that both borderline and bipolar are abbreviated as BPD sometimes in some context. So that might be why I got that one question wrong. Though someone calling bipolar BPD, I think it's basically misusing the acronym. But yeah, I can see why can, Oh yeah, do that accidentally. She mentions that here. So, okay. So here's where she gives some additional recommendations. When contacting university, pick one that has master's degree programs in mental health treatment disciplines. 
social work, psychology, mental health counseling. So that's kind of parallel to what we heard from Jacqueline and Mike and contact that degree program. Most professors maintain a small private practice while also teaching and doing research and so are a great bridge between research and practice. They will also have alumni records and referral programs, so are often the most aware in a university of what treatment options exist in the area. Another listener chimed in and said that her psychology department does have like a list that they have ready for people. She says you can also contact the local chapter of the professional organization for the above listed disciplines. Many run free referral services, and even those that don't will know the referral services in your area. Also, contact your local chapter of NAMI. I assume that's what they call N-A-M-I. It's a grassroots org made of people who have mental illness or have family members with mental illness and give a lot of personal support as well as lobby for mental health legal reform. And then finally, look for group therapy, especially for DBT. Learning with peers is a well-researched and excellent way to use DBT as well as other evidence-based therapies. It's also often cheaper or free as compared Mm -hmm. to individual therapy. So thank you to Sarah for that great advice. Thank you to Mike and Jacqueline as well. Just wanted to add some more resources. Great. The advice I mentioned before was from Stephen Hayes. I wanted to credit him. He is the originator of acceptance commitment therapy, ACT. ACT. ACT, yep. In fact, he says ACT. I find ACT really wonderful. I think it's incredibly helpful for anybody. I think of it as sort of the psychology side of Buddhist mindfulness. Anyway, I love ACT, and it's very, very evidence-based. And he also said, if you end up with a therapist, like maybe one is assigned to you through your HMO or something Mm -hmm. like that, Bring up the word evidence in your first session because their response to that should be very natural, just sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, we can talk about that. Mm. Whereas if you sort of Mm -hmm. get, they tense their shoulders and say like, well, what do you mean? I've worked with lots of people. What are you asking me? You know, there's sort of a defensive posture. That Mm -hmm. should be a red flag. Interesting. Oh, cool. Yeah. And also referring to our last episode, how's your calendar doing, Carrie? Oh, thank you for asking, Ross. What a perfect way to wrap up. (laughs) This isn't the end of our Bob Larson investigation, but wrap up this exorcist level. So my calendar of poops is doing very well. Very busy early month. Holding it up for you. Oh, wow. These these are poop emoji stickers. Yeah. mm -hmm. Okay. I was just picturing uh, stars or something. Yeah, no, we've got poop stickers for when I pooped, lightning bolts for when I had headaches, which you can see is a lot of the month, and then stickers for when my period begins and ends. Oh, okay. Anyway, I was telling you about this over text, saying something about it, and I said- Yeah, you were saying, ask me about, you were like on a on a no poop strike? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no poop strike. Awful. No, I said, I've told you about the time I didn't poop for a month, right? And you said, dot, 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 no. <laughs> and so I told you to, to ask me about it on the show. Well, here's my story. When I was a kid, when I was probably like seven, maybe eight, I would get these horrible, horrible stomach aches, like so bad. One time I remember being out at Blockbuster Video and screaming and writhing on the floor in blockbuster video in a fetal position, like screaming because the pain was so bad. And I would get these all the time. And so my mom was like, something's terribly wrong with her stomach. So she took me to this doctor. (laughs) And this doctor was like, okay, okay, like we should take an x-ray. And he did. And he threw it up on the board and was pointing at it. And he was like, 
So this is your colon, and you see all this white stuff? Yeah, that tells me that you're not going to the bathroom as often as you should. <laughs> and I was like, no, I go to the bathroom. And he was like, not number one, but number two. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And my mom was like, pooping. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, okay, how often do you think you poop? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, how about once a day? And I was like, what? No. He's like, okay, okay. How about once every other day? No. Okay, okay. Once a week. Do you understand what a week is? Yeah. Okay, once a week. No. And he's like, what about once every time your mom turns the page on the calendar? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. That sounds about right. And he was like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> we discovered the problem. Oh, and man. So my mom then had to write on the calendar. He was like, I don't want you to change anything this month. Just do what you would normally do. So my mom had to like mark off every time I pooped. And that month I pooped one time. And she told him and he was like, okay, like you need to teach her that when her stomach hurts, it is her stomach saying she needs like somehow this. No one had mentioned this to me and I didn't into it. Do you think you were like fighting the urge to poop or? Yeah, no, I remember also fighting the urge to poop. Okay. Like I just didn't to. know it was connected. Yeah, oh, I was wow. like, I'm busy. Why is this trying to happen? <laughs> wow. I just didn't know that that was connected to the pain. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. I know. So now you can see why I am very interested in making sure my bowel movements are healthy. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see like you got a three-day streak there. Yeah, Good work. Yeah. Thank you, streak being a different use of the word. <laughs> anyway, that's Oof. my story. We're 10 years in, and listeners, boy, you know a lot about us. I feel like that's related to exorcism, that story. Oh, totally. I needed to exercise my poop. That's right. Yeah, get it out of there. Well. Gotta get it out. <laughs> All right. Imagine it- the people who just joined us for this investigation, and it ended like this. Yeah. Well, that was that was something. Yeah, but... <laughs> If the TMJ wasn't TMI, then this was, but, uh, uh, you know. But guys, now, if I even suspect I need to poop, I'm like, I'm on it, because I know. I'm now like, I've Bob, I want to hear all the dirty secrets. Of my own poops. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was fun. I'm saying this like we're done. No, there's more. There's more to no, come. No, there's so much more, you guys. There's so much more. We got some fun interviews coming up, so hang tight for those. Yeah, they're going to be really good. We've already recorded two of them, and ooh, boy, they're good. All right. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by one of us, probably a combination of us. (laughs) Turns out it was Victor. Thank you, Victor, and me, but mostly Victor. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. And thank you to everybody who does. You make this show possible. You allow us to buy these expensive pieces of paper that we proudly hang about our houses. You can also support us by leaving a review, letting other people know that this podcast is fun to listen to, that you enjoy, that you learn things from it. Someone wrote us recently and asked how to review us in Spotify. And that was the day that I learned that you cannot leave reviews for podcasts in Spotify. Well, if you're on Spotify, maybe not there. But if you're on 
what is it now? Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review mm-hmm. there. Do some skywriting. Skywriting. Yeah. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Ono Podcast. And we're on Facebook. Facebook. And remember, one of the favorite songs of high school, Ross, from the Newsboys, Entertaining Angels. Hey, kid, your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So, yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on Maximum Fun. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who? Yeah! I can't hear myself, but I'm assuming... These are real podcast listeners, not actors. uh, Hey, thanks for coming. Here's a list of descriptors. What would you choose to describe the perfect podcast? I mean, vulgarity. Dumb. Definitely dumb. And like, uh, right here, this one, meritless. What if I told you there was a podcast that did have all of that? No. Jordan, Jesse, go. And it's free. Jordan, Jordan Jesse, go? go? Jordan, Jesse, go. Jordan, Jesse, go. A real podcast. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.